Good afternoon, everybody. This episode of History of a Haunting is brought to you by Love Heals Dog Rescue. Hey, everybody. Welcome to History of a Haunting. We're your hosts. I'm Archie. I'm Carrie. And today we have our studio audience member, Nancy. Say hi, hi. everybody. Uh, everybody, please give a warm welcome to my mom. Again, her name is Nancy. And um, so. mom. So do you want to say a little bit about our location? Do you want to let people know where we're going today? Oh, today we're going to the Tower of London. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite places in the whole world. Oh, why is it your favorite place? Well, I've been there. You've all, the, uh, all the torture and murder. Yeah. yeah. All the, okay, no, that's why it's my favorite place. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, um, we did one of our Clampett Travels trips to London, and we did spend a significant portion of the day one day at the Tower of London. Yeah, it's a lot so, to see. It is a lot to see, and we actually missed a big, well, what I consider the most important and coolest section. We didn't go to the Bloody Tower. We completely passed by Traitor's Gate, I think. Um, but we did see all kinds of, it was an amazing The crown event. jewels. We, we the saw crown the crown jewels. jewels, and you would not let me take a picture of them. Because you'll get arrested. Okay, you won't get arrested. <laughs> you'll get thrown out. Thrown I... out of London? No, thrown out no, of the... out of the tower. Out of the building. Well, it's better than the other You know what, I'm going to be real straight with you. There are a ton of people that have taken pictures of the crown jewels, and I want to Live to tell the tale. Oh, they, they quit beheading people a long time ago. Right, Arch? You have a history. But well, the embarrassment. Oh, fun, fun fact, France was still using the guillotine when the first Star Wars movie was released, so... Whoa, seriously? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, okay, that, that is a fun fact. Oh, I didn't I know you didn't know that. <laughs> I, when was the first Star Wars movie released, 77? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And they were still using the guillotine in France. Wow. Wow. That actually, that is really cool. Okay. Well, we'll save that for one of our French locations. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. Yeah. So today we are doing the Tower of London, and it is an exceptionally old location. It is a point of pride for London, um, as it should be. And it, uh, it is a world historic site as well, I believe. Uh, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to hand things over to Archie. And he's going to get into the history portion of it, which there is a lot of it. Um, but there is also a lot of hauntings, guys. So, all right, Arch, tell us about the history of the Tower of London. All right. Well, the Tower of London was founded by William the Conqueror after his victory at Hastings in 1066. Using part of the huge defensive network the Romans left, known as the London Wall, William's men began building a mighty fortress to subdue and protect the inhabitants of London, the capital city itself, and by extension, the entire British Empire. A wooden castle was erected at first, but around 1075 to 79, work began on the gigantic keep, or Great Tower, later called the White Tower, a reference to the imported white limestone used in its creation, which formed the heart of what from the 12th century became known as the Tower of London. Subsequent monarchs took steps to fortify and expand the complex. Construction of the bell tower commenced in 1190 and was completed in 1210. The bell at the top of the tower was rung to warn of emergencies, such as fire or impending enemy attack. The wardrobe tower was also commissioned in 1190 and completed in 1199. 
As the name indicates, the tower was used to hold the royal garments and the famous crown jewels of England. Ten years after completion of the bell tower, King Henry III ordered construction of the Wakefield and Lanthorne Towers. While it is a series of towers and fortifications, it is known as the singular Tower of London. It is the coolest place. I've been there. Oh, I've been God. There. I've been there. You've been there? Have you been there? You, you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay, okay. Though it was built as a fortress and royal residence, it wasn't long before the tower took on several other more surprising roles. Upon losing Normandy in 1204, King John had been given the bizarre consolation prize of three crate loads of wild beasts. Having nowhere suitable to keep them, he settled for the tower. John's son, Henry III, embraced this aspect of the tower's role with enthusiasm, and it was during his reign that the royal menagerie was fully established. Yes. Well, can we pause here for just a tiny second? When we went to the Tower of London, I had no idea that it had a menagerie. And we're walking through it, and I don't know if you remember this, and you're like, oh, we have to go see the polar bears and, and the monkeys. And, the, uh, and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and we're in a castle. Yeah, like I, I had no idea that at one point it, it was a menagerie and it actually had animals in it and when you go to the tower of london today they have sculptures of all of the animals that oh, wow. have been housed there around the entire location and they've got monkeys up over here and they've got a polar bear with a with a um an iron cuff around its leg and oh. um they've got an elephant and and she was like oh look we got to take a picture and look at the monkeys and she she had done her research much better than i did because all i was like <laughs> Bloody Tower, we gotta go see the Bloody Tower, we gotta go see the rack, we've gotta go see the crown jewels. And she actually like read up on the history of she it. She did her homework. She did her homework where I was just like, oh my god, crazy prison, torture, death, ghosts, let's go. Jewels. Jewels. <laughs> you threatened me for six months that you were gonna take a picture of the crown jewels, and I said, We'll get thrown out of the country, oh my god. Yeah, and then I didn't. Yeah. Because she really didn't want me to but anyway so well, yeah go on that well, was our Carrie, tidbit about the menagerie as as you said most exotic of all of henry the third's animals was the pale bear probably a polar bear oh, as you probably found, a gift from the king of norway in 1252 three years later the bear was joined by a beast so strange many were at a loss for words one chronicler could only report that it eats and drinks with a trunk England had welcomed the first elephant since the invasion of Claudius. Oh my, when was this? I didn't you, get The invasion that. of Claudius? The invasion of Claudius. We all know that, Carrie. God. Oh, right. I remember. <laughs> of course, the invasion of Claudius. But when did the, um, you had said something about... The polar bear yeah. was a gift from the king of Norway in 1252. Okay, so the 1200s. Long time ago. Wow. That is really cool. Yeah, they have uh, they have a wire sculpture of the elephant, of the elephant there. That's cool. It yeah. is cool. We have a picture of it. We've got tons of pictures from our trip to London that we will put on all of our social media. The invasion of Claudius was roughly fifty A.D. So, a good thousand years before the tower was even built. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, all right, well, hi, sorry. One of the interns is bored and snoring. <laughs> yeah, one of the interns. 
she's asleep. Leia's like, if I've heard this story once, I've, I've heard, heard it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boring. London, want to go back. We're not Hyde Park proper dogs. <laughs> well, it was also during the 13th century that the tower embraced another function that might not be expected of a fortress. Edward I moved the mint here in 1279. His choice was inspired by the need for security. After all, the mint's workers literally held the wealth of the kingdom in their hands. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I was woefully Yeah, ignorant. you were. Yeah, you were. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mom. Why am I <laughs> sitting in the middle of this? Right? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> well, so successful was the operation that it was remained in the tower until the 18th century. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Around the same time the mint was established, the, the tower also became home to the records of government. For centuries, the monarch had kept these documents with them wherever they traveled, but the growing volume forced them to be stored in a permanent and very secure location. During Edward I's reign, the tower became a major repository of these records. Purpose-built storage for the records was never provided there, however, so they competed for space with weapons, gunpowder, prisoners, and even royalty. As with the mint, they would remain there for many centuries to come. Yeah, they have a whole location. Um, when you first walk in, I believe, when you first enter the Tower of London, you go through the Byward Tower. And then I think it's off to your left is where they have where the mint was and you mm. go in and they show you like right 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 yeah yeah oh, so awesome. yeah it's really it's really cool it's an amazing amazing place yeah well the tower remains very much a living fortress adapting to its changed circumstances while persevering centuries of tradition no that's preserving centuries of tradition sorry it's still <laughs> home to the world famous yeoman wardens or the beef eaters as a as well as the ravens, at least half a dozen of which must stay within the bounds of the fortress, or legend has it, the monarchy would fall. Although no longer subject to bombardment from invaders, the tower is nevertheless prey to the steady approach of the city's new high-rise buildings. Yet it still stands, a bastion of the past that is instantly recognizable across the world. It is, and in fact, you and I, Mom, were talking I have pictures of it. <laughs> I was there. We have thousands of pictures yeah. of it. But you and I were talking earlier before Archie got here about what your favorite part of the Tower of London was. And you had said, was it something? It's just the fact that it's so old. Yes. And when you're there and you're in it, you don't actually feel like there's this huge bustling metropolis outside of the walls of where you're at mm. you actually feel like you're this back, is back it yeah. yes yeah it is, you do it's it's one of the most <laughs> remarkable places i have ever been to in my entire life and i want to go back before i die and i may start to cry if i don't get to Whoa! Wow! Okay, she <laughs> took she took this podcast. So that took a turn. It took a turn. So we're gonna start a Patreon so we can send my mom back to London. Dear God! Oh. Well, there are quite a few stories of the London that I've recorded here and written down, but I'm only gonna touch on a few of them. Um, 
Despite the dramatic events that have taken place there, the Tower of London's history as a prison has always held the most fascination. Uh-huh. Between 1100 and 1952, some 8,000 people were incarcerated within its walls for crimes ranging from treason and conspiracy to murder, debt, and sorcery. Oh my god, that's after I was born. Mm-hmm. One of the most notorious Sorcery episodes. probably wasn't one of the 1952 ones, <laughs> but... You never know. You never know. <laughs> one of the most notorious episodes involved the princes in the tower. Upon the death of Edward IV in 1483, his son and heir Edward were just 12 years old, so he appointed his brother Richard, the future Richard III, as Lord Protector. Richard wasted no time in placing the boy and his younger brother Richard in the tower, no doubt for their protection. It is now widely accepted that at some point during the autumn of that year, the two princes were quietly murdered. The prime suspect has long been Richard III, who had invalidated his nephew's claim to the throne and had himself crowned king in July 1483. But there were others with a vested interest in getting the princes out of the way. Yes. That is very true. Yeah, that's a very good. I mean, that's a, a well-known story. It's a well-known story, and it is it's tower. it's a very intriguing story. But fun fact: there are a great many people that don't believe Richard the Third did it. In fact, I there's a society that is solely dedicated to working to prove he didn't. Oh wow! And what's it called? Uh the Richard the Third Society. I. <laughs> You know, I actually, I don't think that's too far. I'm, too it, far off. <laughs> I, I don't think that's too far off, but um, I'll have to look that up. But it is an actual organization of people that are out to prove that Richard III did not murder these two princes. Well, probably not personally. Well. Or have them murdered. Uh, but his, his Richard III's story is, is absolutely fascinating, as is the story of the two princes, so. Sorry. Anyway, go That's on. That's okay. No. There's, there's more to that, too. Yes. The two princes had disappeared without trace, but in 1674, a remarkable discovery was made at the tower. The then king, Charles II, ordered the demolition of what remained of the royal palace to the south of the White Tower, including a turret that had once contained a privy staircase leading into St. John's Chapel. Beneath the foundations of the staircase, the workmen found a wooden chest, containing two skeletons. They were clearly the bones of children, and their height coincided with the age of the two princes when they disappeared. Charles II eventually arranged for their reburial in Westminster Abbey. There they lie still, with a brief interruption in 1933, when a re-examination provided compelling evidence that they were the two princes. The controversy surrounding their death was reignited by the discovery of Richard III's skeleton, in Leicester in 2012 and signs and shows no signs of abating. That's the one where they were making the parking lot. They found his I, yeah. They were right? expanding. They were expanding something and he was found in, they call it a car park, but yeah, right, we right. call it a parking yeah. lot. He was found under a parking lot um, in 2012 in Leicester. Yeah, his, I remember that. Yes. And there's a fascinating documentary on Netflix about it as well. Um, they were actually able to prove that it was him, I believe, um, matrilineally, the, the the DNA through their maternal line. They were mm, able mm-hmm. to find one of his, like, I don't know, 500th great grandkids. Mm. 
somewhere in Britain to Mm -hmm. prove that it actually was him. And so he was then, once they did their examination on him, he was then interred in um, uh, a cathedral in Leicester, um, as opposed to actually being interred with other kings and queens and Westminster Abbey, which I thought that was poignant. Telling. Yes. Well, also... We can't talk about the tower without talking about the Tudor administration. Administration? I don't think they called it an administration. Monarchy. Monarchy. Yeah. Which, uh, you know what? Aside from the Windsor monarchy, the Tudors are my favorite. And I have oh. studied them extensively. Like so we'll lot. get... <laughs> oh, 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 right. Woohoo! <laughs> Okay. And here I am in the middle of that. And here you are in the middle of that. I'm just saying, you know, Henry VIII maybe wasn't all crazy yeah, with the beheadings. With I'm kidding. Oh my oh, god. <laughs> the Don't Tudor... piss me off. I'm kidding. <laughs> Joke, guys. She's not joking. The Tudor period witnessed some more victims of royal wrath than any other. A staggering number of high-profile statesmen, churchmen, and even queens went to the block. The fortress came to epitomize the brutality of the Tudor regime and of its most famous king, Henry VIII. Oh, yeah, Henry. The most famous of the tower's prisoners during the Tudor era was Henry VIII's second queen, Anne Boleyn. High-handed and unqueenly, Anne soon made the dangerous enemies at court. Among them was the king's chief minister, Thomas Cromwell, who was responsible for her downfall. He drew inspiration from the queen's flirtatious manner with her consort of male favorites and convinced the king that she was conducting affairs with five of them, her own brother included. Yep. Yeah, well, back in that day, you know, picky <laughs> Cromwell had them all rounded up and the queen herself was arrested on May 2nd, 1536. She was taken by barge to the tower, protesting her innocence all the way, and held in the same apartments that had been refurbished for her coronation just three years prior. Anne watched as her five alleged lovers were led to their deaths on Tower Hill on May 17th. Two days later, she was taken from her apartments to the scaffold. After a speech, she knelt in the straw and closed her eyes to pray. With a clean strike, the executioner severed her head from her body. The crowd looked on aghast as the fallen queen's eyes and lips continued to move as if in silent prayer when the head was held aloft. Anne's nemesis, Thomas Cromwell, had been among the onlookers at this spectacle. His triumph would be short-lived. Four years later, he was arrested on charges of treason by the captain of the Royal Guard and himself taken to the tower. Yeah, Yeah, I remember there was a movie about that. I'm sure there were. There were. A, there uh, were. A man for all seasons. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that was about Thomas Cromwell. I, or about that era? Era, yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I had no idea. Another movie I haven't seen. Oh, shocker! <laughs> it's quite. It's kind of an old movie. I mean, 60s, 70s, 70s, oh, maybe. Who's in it? Do you remember? Uh Yeah, I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, great. Okay. okay. Glad um, I cleared that up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Anne Boleyn is... I'll go into more detail about her little situation <clears throat> with Henry VIII in my portion. 
The Tower of London was again at the center of the action during the disastrous reign of James' son, Charles I, when the country descended into civil war. After Charles' execution, Oliver Cromwell ordered the destruction of the crown jewels, the most potent symbols of royal power, almost all of which were melted down in the Tower Mint. But upon restoration of the monarchy in 1660, Charles II commissioned a dazzling suite of new jewels that have been used by the royal family ever since. Did you know that, Mom? No, I didn't. Yeah. And Oliver Cromwell was Thomas Cromwell's nephew. Oh, really? Yes. Although the Tower of London subsequently fell out of use as a royal residence, it remained key to the nation's defense. The Duke of Wellington, constable of the Tower during the mid-19th century, stripped away many of its non-military functions, notably the menagerie, and built impressive new accommodations for its troops, known as the Waterloo Block. This is now home to the Crown Jewels. Yay! By the dawn of the 20th century, it seemed that the Tower of London's role as a fortress and prison was a thing of the past, but the advent of the two world wars changed all of that. One of the most notorious prisoners was Hitler's right-hand man, Rudolf Hess, who was brought to London in May 1941 after landing unexpectedly in Scotland. He was kept in the Queen's house at the Tower and spent four days there before being transferred to a series of safe houses. Another Nazi, German spy Joseph Jacobs, was the last person executed at the Tower. He was shot in August of 1941. Oh my. Yeah. Yes. 1941? Yeah. Firing squad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty remarkable that the tower was able to withstand. For as long as it has. For as long as it has, especially during World War II, when London was being bombed. Willy-nilly, yeah. Right, yeah. So, um... You would think the Germans would have maybe figured out where that was. (laughs) Well, and you know what, um... Well, they weren't led by the best and brightest. <laughs> it was at one of my favorite stories of, and like I said, I am a huge British monarchy buff. I have read and studied a lot of the different monarchies that Britain has had. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite stories is about the Queen Mother. And she was... Um, there's a story that, that says that Adolf Hitler hated her because, and he actually called her, and I'm misquoting this entirely, so sorry guys, but he called her the most dangerous woman in the world mm. because she kept the spirits of Britain bolstered. Mm-hmm. Um, during that entire, during that entire war. And he absolutely hated her because of it, because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was, I thought that was, it's one of my favorite stories because you should really try and watch a man for all seasons. I think you would enjoy it. Oh, I would absolutely enjoy it. I'm definitely going to look for that and and find it because I would absolutely enjoy it. Yeah, I'm telling you what, I've been so excited to do this episode for such a long time. I have pictures of Tower of London. <laughs> I have a picture of me and my grandson in front of the Tower of London. In front of the White Tower, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Archie, go on. No, no, that, that's it. That's what you got? That's what I have more. 
But you told me no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> but why did I? But let me tell you why. Because <laughs> um, we don't want a two-hour episode. Well, oh. that well, yeah, that and I, I couldn't find hauntings related to. Ah, uh, yes. To some of that. Um, so anyway, so it's my turn now, eh? All right, eh? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We're in England, not in Canada. Sorry. All right. Let me get situated here, folks. Okay, Mom, are you ready for the part you like the least, which is the hauntings? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. All right. Well, so take that You're my child, note. and I'm proud of you regardless. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, right. What Archie said. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, take a snort of wine and, uh, okay, so the first reported sighting of a ghost in the Tower of London was during the time of Henry III, and he reigned from 1216 to 1272, so as you mentioned a minute ago, about, about 200 about years. 200 years, which, as we're discovering with our other recordings, is about where we're at, like with the Civil War and things like that. Oh, yeah. About 200 years past. Yeah. Which I find interesting. I mean, it's not like we're hearing about ghosts of Britney or anything this day and age, so. Right? Oh, God. That's one of my favorite memes, though. <laughs> right? Okay, she doesn't know. She's looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, sorry, Mom. Anyway, so um, this particular ghost was noticed when some workmen were constructing the inner curtain wall. Um, and as I had mentioned <clears throat> earlier, when we were before we were recording, um, the Tower of London, as you see it today, is not actually how it looked. Um, I believe a lot of the buildings that Anne Boleyn was associated with and that were created for her coronation and where she was kept mm -hmm. before she was executed, those are all gone just because it's, like you said, Mom, it's so old. It's almost a thousand years old. Um, there has, things have been falling into disrepair. I actually think that... Some of the buildings were destroyed, maybe during the wars. Oh, okay. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, it, what you when you go to London today and you see the Tower of London, that is not how it actually used to look. However, during this time, between twelve sixteen and twelve seventy two, the very angry ghost of Saint Thomas Becket was seen. Now, Saint Thomas Becket was the Archbishop of Canterbury during that oh, time, oh. and he was murdered. Mm, he was not well liked. He, he wasn't. I don't think. Thomas is a very popular name, so I'm I'm getting my Thomas Moore's, Thomas Beckett's, Thomas Cromwell's, mm. and Thomas Cranmer's mixed up. But anyway, the murdered Archbishop of Canterbury, Saint Thomas Becket, he appeared and he quote smote the new wall with his cross cross and reduced it to a heap of rubble. So. King Henry III was very concerned by this apparition because St. Thomas had been murdered by followers of his grandfather, King Henry II. So he was, you know, pretty angry ghost, mm. <laughs> you know, going around smoting things. Um, so anyway, after pondering on how best to appease the angry ghost, Henry III decided to build a chapel to St. Thomas Becket within the walls of the Tower of London. And luckily, this was enough to appease the archbishop's angry ghost and he was never seen again oh. once they built a chapel in his honor so the next ghost that i'm going to talk about is king henry the sixth he was the only child of henry the fifth 
and he stood to inherit the English and French thrones. Now, in 1471, as the War of the Roses raged throughout England, Henry VI was imprisoned by the House of York at the Tower of London. Um, Soon after, Richard of York's son Edward seized control of the throne after the Battle of Tewkesbury. Now, the War of the Roses was a big, long, long, long war, and there were multiple battles within it. So, um, soon after, Richard of York's son Edward seized control of the throne after this Battle of Tewkesbury. The newly minted ruler, Edward, called for Henry VI's assassination. I know, it's a lot. It's really a lot to follow. They're both looking at me like, I, you lost me around the yeah, third or I thought, fourth Henry. I thought mine was confusing. Yeah. Talking yeah. about the Richards. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and this is three Henrys before the eighth, the <laughs> popular one. Um, so anyway, Edward. Not who necessarily had, popular, but the well-known. <laughs> okay. There's that. Um, <laughs> Anyway, Edward had um, claimed the throne, and he basically called for his rival's assassination. So Henry VI was stabbed to death as he knelt in prayer in the Wakefield Tower. And I actually think you and I have seen, I think there is a, um, a chapel area where it says that Henry VI was murdered there. And there, there's a sign in the Tower of London that says this is where he was killed. Oh, my God. Do we have a picture of it? I believe we do. I'll have yeah. to go back through and look yeah. for that. So every anniversary on his death, it is said that his ghost appears pacing around the exact spot where he met his grisly end. And at the last stroke of midnight, he disappears. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a, that's a common theme. Like they show up for a little <laughs> bit and then they're kind of gone. But they have appeared for so long and, and so, you know, just so many people that. Um, anyway, the prince is in the tower. <clears throat> As you said, Arch, um, they, the one prince, um, I believe it was Edward, and his younger brother Richard were housed in the tower after their father was killed. Edward was the um, heir apparent. He was considered the Prince of Wales. Mm -hmm. At the time, um, the next person to become king. Right, to become king. Um, But because he was so young, they are assigned a regent. And the regent at this particular time was Richard III, their uncle. So... They were housed at the Tower of London for their own safety. And the last person recorded to have seen the princes alive was Edward V's physician, Dr. Argentine, who reported that Edward was suffering from, quote, melancholy. And he writes, The young king, like a victim prepared for sacrifice, sought remission of his sins by daily confession and penance because he believed that death was facing him. Hmm. Yes. wonder why he thought that. Smart kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so today, the specters of the two little princes have been seen in what is known as the Bloody Tower, dressed in their white night shirts. They've also been spotted playing on the battlements, um, and more contemporary visitors to the tower do report hearing the laughter of children throughout the halls and on the grounds. There is, in the in more recent years... I, I want to say in the last like three or four years, there is a woman who says that she is a psychic medium. She went to the tower to visit as a tourist and she took a photograph of 
um, the, the main area where the princes are often seen. And she claims to have captured what she believes is one of the princes. Hmm. Um, I, we will put that photo up on our social media as well. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't really, I can't really tell, but, um, it, it kind of made its way throughout the news outlets and kind of became viral at, at the time. Um, so we'll put it up on our social media and we'll, you know, we'll let you listeners decide and, and, and see what you think. Okay. And how um, long ago was this? In the last like two to four years. It's oh, been really oh, recent. Wow. In oh. fact, I actually think she was there since you and I have been there. Oh my. Yeah. So anyway, uh, as you also mentioned, there were in, in the 1600s, the bones of two children found during construction of the White Tower. Was it the White Tower? Um, One of the towers. Um, and there is today a sign, a placard, a plaque um, on the wall stating that um, the bones of two children were found at the base of this the, particular the stairs. stairwell and the White Tower. Okay, the White, the White Tower. Yeah. Um, so we have a picture of that as well. And then those bones were then moved to interred in Westminster yes. Abbey. Now, Westminster Abbey is the final resting place for over 3,000 individuals. Good Lord. Yes. How big is this place? It is huge. It's pretty big. It is. <laughs> it's, it, it's pretty big. But when you think there are 3,000 people interred there, they are everywhere. They are under the floors. They are in crypts in the walls. They have their, like, kings and queens have their own actual, it's... Oh, it's wow. Not, a, not an inch of space wasted there. Literally not one inch. And it is one of the most holy and unbelievable places I have ever set foot in. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was an exceptionally emotional um time when Koi and I went and, and toured it because you you just know what it is you and you know it. you can feel it. That is where the two princes are currently buried. Now, as you mentioned in 1933, they were um, disinterred and their bones were examined. Mm -hmm. However, no attempt was actually made to determine whether the bones were those of male or female oh. um, as it was assumed. Uh, that, but they were assumed to be the princes because right. the bones fit were, the description. And yes, they fit the description and they fit the age range of the two princes when they disappeared, the age that they were. So this has caused the examination of the bones in 1933 to be criticized. However, no further scientific examination has been conducted since 1933, including DNA analysis. Uh, because this would actually require royal consent, which has not been granted. Oh wow! As of today, they just really? want to leave it as it is. I, I don't know. I'm sure that they have probably been petitioned a great many number of times. Oh yeah, for sure. Specifically, I would imagine that that it probably ramped up, and the request probably ramped up once Richard the Third was found under the car park. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they did DNA on those bones, and they were able to determine it actually oh, yeah. was Richard. Lincoln. Now that they have the science to Now do that it. we have the science, yeah. exactly. But uh, no, it requires royal consent, and the queen has not given that. Wow. I wonder yeah. why. I, Just to close that chapter, I would assume. I would assume. I mean, and, and who's to say? I mean, you know, one day Charles will, will have all, be sitting on the throne, so maybe he'll grant it. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Wow. 
anyway, uh, so yeah, these two princes have also been seen gliding down the stairs at the Tower of London, and it has. You gotta have some fun. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> all why the not? time. And all the time. You're a kid. <laughs> um, it is also here that ghostly sightings of two small figures dressed in nightgowns, like I mentioned, have been reportedly seen since the 15th century. Some people that have seen them have said that the ghosts are sobbing and clinging to one another. So two young kids, you know, I would imagine mm-hmm. if they were kidnapped in the yeah. middle of the night. <laughs> Who else would it be? Exactly. I, though, I don't know. Um, several of these witnesses of these sad apparitions have tried to comfort these children, but the, they were, the children were overcome with fright. How about that? Ghosts were overcome with fright when they were noticed and the children have backed up against the wall and slowly disappeared into its stones. God, I can... Isn't that awful? I can I can resonate with that. Yeah. <laughs> Many a times I wish I could disappear into walls when people look at me. Right. Well, I'm unfortunately are going to have to wait until you die. Uh, Damn it. Uh, <laughs> man, these two princes are so lucky. <laughs> okay, so here is where I get into Queen Anne Boleyn. Now, she is perhaps the most famous ghost of the Tower of London. Now, Anne Boleyn, just as a quick, air quote, quick <sighs> history recap on Anne Boleyn. She was, as Archie mentioned, the second wife of King Henry VIII. His first wife being Catherine of Aragon. Now, he was married to Catherine of Aragon for over 20 years. I believe he was married to her for 25 years. And they had, I think, around seven children, but only one survived, and that was their daughter, Mary. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there were a couple of stillbirths. There were a couple of children that died shortly after their birth, including a couple of sons, I believe. So... As time went on, and like I said, they were married for over 20-something years. As time went on, Henry VIII started becoming more and more paranoid that he was not going to leave a male heir. Because at that point in time, only a male heir could inherit the throne. So he started becoming increasingly paranoid that he was going to die without having a living male heir. He did have a daughter, Mary, with Catherine of Aragon, but... To Henry, she didn't really count. (laughs) So he um, was known for having affairs, as kings did back Mm. then. I mean, Henry VIII reigned. (laughs) Back then? Well. (laughs) And today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I don't know many kings, but I'm sure that they're probably having affairs. Mm. Not with the media (laughs) these days. Mm. Well, except for that one. So anyway, King Henry was having affairs and he actually had some official mistresses. I mean, it was that kind of a situation where they, you know. If they're official. They were official mistresses that had their own apartments and things like that in the various palaces. So if they provided him a male heir. Not necessarily. Okay. I say not necessarily, but. Um, but yes, necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, well, it was up to the king. And with gotcha. in Henry VIII's case, he did have a son with um, one of his mistresses. And crap, her name escapes me. Wow, that's a hell of a name. 
Princess Crap. Her name escapes me. <laughs> I know. She wasn't a princess. She was one of the queen's ladies in waiting. Um, and she was married herself. Waiting and, for that D. Mm. <laughs> um, she she was one of the queen's ladies in waiting, and she got pregnant. She was married herself, and the the boy that he, she had was the only child out of wedlock that Henry VIII recognized as his own. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and he, the child went on to become known as, as Henry Fitzroy. So, so many rules, though. There is, a, there is a lot of rules. So, with Henry VIII being so paranoid that his first original wife, Catherine of Aragon, would not give him a male heir, he set his sights on Anne Boleyn. And Anne Boleyn was also a lady-in-waiting for Queen Catherine of Aragon. Mm. Now, they started an affair, even though she refused to have sex with him until they were married. Um, Anne Boleyn, long story, longer story, somewhat short, essentially promised him that if he were to marry her, she would give him the male heir that he desired. And... Mm. Yeah. She was a very brilliant woman. She was a very beautiful woman. She was a very charming woman. So she was exceptionally popular at court. And Henry VIII fell in love with her immediately. And he wanted to marry her. The problem with that, he was already fucking married. <laughs> oh, that's a nasty move. It was a snag. Yeah. It was a snag. Isn't this where he changes the Church of England? He does. Um, and Anne Boleyn is the reason why... There is the Church of England, but it wasn't just a matter of if <laughs> I'm going to be have my own church. Uh, basically, Catherine of Aragon was married to Henry VIII's brother. Now, Henry VIII was never supposed to take the crown. He was sort of the Prince Harry. Waiting. No, he was sort of the Prince Harry of the time. Oh. His brother, let's call him, I mean, it wasn't Billy Bob. <laughs> Shlomo. Oh my god. Do you know, uh, we have just now lost all of our fucking UK listeners. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. All two of them. <laughs> Ten. Uh, his brother was going to be king, and he got married to Catherine of Aragon. But the brother died before they consummated their marriage. Mm. Oh, as brothers will. I suppose. I don't know. I don't have any brothers. I have no idea. Um, anyway, so they were like, okay, well, now Henry VIII is going to be Henry VIII, and he's got to be married. So here we already have a queen ready to be queen. And so, Henry, yeah. So, okay. So she, Henry married his brother's widow under the belief and the assumption that they had never consummated their marriage. Fast forward 20 plus years. He doesn't have a male heir. He's met Anne Boleyn. He's madly in love. He wants to divorce Catherine of Aragon. And he wants to divorce her on the grounds that he believes that she, she actually did. She actually did consummate her marriage with his brother. Because in the Bible, it is said, or he, I don't know if it's said, I, I'm not, I don't read the Bible. Oh, here goes the church stuff again. Uh, yeah. In the Bible, it indicates, I believe, and I'm wrong about this. And if I'm wrong, go ahead and email me and let me know I'm wrong. That if a king marries his brother's widow, mm -hmm. he will never produce a male heir. So he believes the fact 
that he's never produced a male heir with Catherine of Aragon, that that must mean she consummated her marriage with his brother. Oh. So he petitions the Pope for a divorce and it goes on forever. I mean, it's dragged on forever and ever and ever and ever. And a lot of people die. Divorce was unheard of. Divorce was not a thing. Right. And the Pope is like, no. And he sends a bunch of people to like investigate and do all of this stuff. The Pope does. The Pope does. Um, In the end, they find no. I mean, they had a trial. They had everything. In the end, the Pope and the Catholic Church is like, no, this is a legitimate marriage. And just deal with it, basically. And Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn were like, no, we're not going to deal with it. So. And now we have Episcopalians. uh, No, Protestants. Ah, same thing. Oh, is it? No. No, it isn't. (laughs) Oh, I was like, see, this is how little I know. No, not at all. I just like to stir the pot. Wow. All right. Email Archie, not me. He's the pot stirrer. Anyway. (laughs) So he ends up (laughs) breaking from the Church of Rome. The Catholic Church, they also excommunicated him because he wasn't about to. Right. Yeah. Um, And he forms the Church of England. And he does it all in the name of Anne Boleyn because he wanted to marry her. So he marries her. And she has her coronation. And she's taken to the Tower of London and the Queen's apartments. And and at the time, the Tower of London was where all, all the future to be crowned kings and queens started. And then there was a procession from the Tower of London down to Westminster Abbey. Right. So that is the long and short-ish story <laughs> of how Anne Boleyn became... Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn. Now, Anne Boleyn... Didn't give him a son. Ooh. What she gave him was a daughter. I thought you were going to say like herpes or something. <laughs> did they fucking have herpes in the 1500s? They probably did, but they didn't know what it was. <laughs> well, there is a rumor a creepy about... Creepy crud or whatever they call it. <laughs> creepy crud. Okay. I think you're leaning too far into bloody flux, which was dysentery at oh, the time. Oh, oh. Mm. That's never fortunate to talk about. Yeah. No. Anyway. So Anne Boleyn never gave him a son either. She actually had a miscarriage of a son. Oh. Yeah. Um, so Henry VIII quickly lost interest in Anne Boleyn and started sleeping. Uh, the dude had a hard-on for her ladies-in-waiting because his next wife was one of Anne Boleyn's ladies-in-waiting. Well, easy access. Whoever could give him a son. Whoever could give him That's a son. That's all he cared about. Exactly. And this third wife was actually the one that gave him a son. That he wanted, and he loved her, and he loved the son, but she doesn't haunt anything, so I'm not going to even bring her up. <laughs> I'll save that for my British monarchy podcast that I'll form later on. In all life. by yourself. All by all by myself. <laughs> my with my Native American ass talking about <laughs> British monarchy. <laughs> anyway. Um, so that is what started the whole conspiracy against Anne Boleyn. Okay. Um, does Anne Boleyn haunt the tower? Yes, she does. Actually, I would, if I I were would her. too. Damn right. <laughs> yes, because Thomas Cromwell. Oh, that fucker! That dude. He didn't like her either. Even though they were on the same side with the whole Protestant regime in the beginning, but he turned on her. Yeah. As they do. Yes. Nobody's fucking loyal back in the 1500s. So he, um, like I said. Turner in for having five 
adulterous lovers, one of them her brother. Yes. That's um, disgusting. She was also accused of witchcraft, things like that. Mm-hmm. It was a very easy... I mean, Henry VIII was done with her. She hadn't given him a son. She had had a miscarriage. Yeah, you're toast. You're do- yeah, yeah, you're done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was very easy for Thomas Cromwell to plant the seeds of doubt in Henry VIII's sure. mind. Oh, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So he sends her to the Tower of London to be executed. But because she's a queen, and I feel like somewhere in there he still had some sort of glimmer of emotion for her. Typically when people were executed at the Tower of London, they were executed by an axe. The executioner used an axe. However, in Anne Boleyn's case, Henry VIII, uh, in what he considered to be a very humane change of heart, used a pocket knife. Yeah, because they had pocket knives in the 1500s. <laughs> pocket guillotine. A pocket, oh, a pocket guillotine. No, he had actually um, requested that a French executioner from Calais come over, and they were considered the best executioners in the world at the time. I mean, like you said, even through 1977. Yeah, they were using guillotines. So he actually requested that a French executioner come over and do the job because they used swords. Um, so she was beheaded, um, in the tower of London, within the tower of London walls, uh, because she was a queen nobility typically had a more private execution and there were still about 150 people witnessing her execution. Now it's a bit of a, um, misconception that everybody that was executed at the tower of London was actually executed in the tower of London. They were not. Majority of them were executed outside the Tower of London on Tower Green. And that's where we were. So Thomas More was executed on Tower Green. A bunch of different people. Most of the executions actually occurred outside of the Tower of London on Tower Green. Tower Hill. Tower Green, Tower Hill. But Anne Boleyn? Anne Boleyn was executed within the walls. Private ceremony. Because she was the queen. She was queen, of course. And she wouldn't be the first queen that Henry VIII executed at the Tower of London. So anyway, she is usually seen near the site of her execution, um, which is now the Queen's house, a house that he built for Anne. That is actually no longer standing. I don't believe, and if it is, then it is now considered the Yeoman Warders' residence. Because the Yeoman Warders that work there live there with their families. Live there, yeah, they have yeah. property. Um, so she is often seen near the site of her execution and near the altar in the chapel where her body lies. Her body current is lies in the chapel, chapel of... St. Peter at Vincula, which we also missed when we were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, one guard so does tell... One guard does tell a story of seeing a hooded figure approach him in the rooms of the tower. Uh, despite orders to stop, the figure advanced upon him, leading the guard to run it through with his bayonet. At that point, the guard realized the figure was missing its head. That is a oh. common... A common... Um, uh, ghosts of ambulance is that people say that she is is either missing her head and that's how you know it's her or she's carrying her head how how did this guy advance on her after giving a warning and then figure out oh she doesn't have a head <laughs> i'm not really sure but there are witnesses other guards that saw through the window watch the entire thing happen whoa yeah so they were like you fell asleep on the job and you had a horrible dream and you're fucking fired. And then these other guards are like, actually, no, we, no. Saw we saw it, it. from over here. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, an officer lodged in the bloody tower saw the whole event take place from his window. Wow. So there were witnesses to this particular thing. But it was a hooded figure. So maybe when she was so far you away, you couldn't have a woman. It was in a dress, so I'm assuming a, a woman. Anyway, uh, perhaps the most spectacular ghost story relating to Anne Boleyn is that of a captain of the guard who saw a light flickering in the locked Chapel Royale late one night. Now, he tried to uncover the source of the light by climbing a ladder um, and was met with an unbelievable scene unfolding inside. And this is what was written about what the guard saw. This particular thing that I'm going to read was written in 1882 as what the guard's account was. Quote, slowly down the aisle moved a stately procession of knights and ladies attired in ancient costumes, and in the front walked an elegant female whose face was averted from him, but whose figure greatly resembled the one he had seen in reputed portraits of Anne Boleyn. After having repeatedly paced the chapel, the entire procession together with the light disappeared. Hmm. And apparently it's common to see her and others in a procession down the aisle of um, the chapel of St. Peter of Vincula. Hmm. Yeah. So that is my big long monologue about Anne Boleyn. And coming up next, I'm going to talk a little bit about Henry VIII. Maybe. Maybe it's Henry VIII. <laughs> oh, poor Henry. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it was because he had syphilis. Yeah, he had. No, it's actually, that's a lie. It was gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> it was herpes. The next ghost-ish, I mean, there is paranormal occurrences that is mostly attributed to Henry VIII. Now, in the White Tower now is an, a fairly new exhibit that we were fortunate to be able to see when we were there. Um, of all of the armor of past kings and knights, all kinds of stuff, is on display at the Tower of London, which is actually really phenomenal oh, to wow. see. I think I have a picture of Henry VIII's armor. We do have Henry VIII's armor. In the White Tower, which, as you mentioned in your history portion, is the oldest of all of the tower structures, visitors actually report a horrifying crushing sensation as they enter the gallery where Henry VIII's armor is stored. And the minute they leave the building, the feeling disappears. Hmm. Yeah. Guards have also been reported physically accosted by some unseen force. One was covered and strangled by a heavy cloak, only to find that once he freed himself, that he was completely alone in the room. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not some nightmare stuff. That's, you're, no. you're doing your job, doing your thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, another guard stopped to rest his feet and remove his shoes when a voice behind him whispered, there's only you and I here. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Um, some say that it feels like a, a demon has jumped from the ceiling and has its arms wrapped tight around their chest and is trying to suffocate them. Others say that it feels like an invisible monster is trying to strangle them. They felt a tight grip of hands around their neck and have stumbled gasping for oxygen into another room. And when they get into the other room, the sensation goes away. Sounds like they need some carbon monoxide detectors (laughs) or something. I feel like that wouldn't do it. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's a little beyond carbon monoxide. However, (laughs) 
It seems to only occur wherever Henry VIII's <laughs> armor is. Oh. So it doesn't matter where the armor is held. Or being displayed. Or being displayed or moved. Huh. Within the Tower of London, these terrifying experiences will always occur within the same room as Henry VIII's armor. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's funny. And like I said, nowadays, the armor is on plain display in the tower. For everyone to choke and die. Yeah. Now, it isn't... I, I didn't feel... I didn't feel anything when I went to the Tower of London, which... As an empath, I was disappointed because I was really hoping to see something or feel something. I didn't feel anything. Well, I wonder if it's something along the lines of sharing with some of the blood. Uh, you probably share very little blood with that area of the world. Except. Except for. No, no. Uh, I did have a past life regression done, and I am actually one of the builders of the Tower of London. Which explains my utter fascination with it. <laughs> a lot else, too. Okay. Yes. The next ghost I'm going to talk about is Margaret Pole. Now, Margaret Pole was the mother of Cardinal Pole, and she was of nobility. Now, Cardinal Pole is the one who denounced Henry VIII as the head of the Church of England. Okay. Mm. Yes. So, obviously, Henry VIII, not loving this guy. Um, the Countess of Salisbury, which was her official title. Um, she was imprisoned in the tower as an enemy of the state because she was the mother of Cardinal Pole. And they supported his decision to renounce Henry VIII as the head of the Church of England. Mm, okay. When she made it to the scaffold, and this is probably one of the more gruesome stories, Mom, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Might want to take a swig of wine because it's kind of gross. It's not LaLaurie Mansion gross, but it's gross. So when she made it to the scaffold, she refused to kneel, saying, quote, so should traitors do, and I am none. So as she was of noble birth, there were about 150 witnesses present to what? Instead I'm, of the whole town. Exactly. Um, so 150 witnesses present to what I'm about to tell you. When the executioner raised his axe, she ran. Oh... Not far. I'm like around the scaffolding. <laughs> like the legend goes that he pursued her, hacking at her around the scaffold until she was dead. However, historical accounts state that her gruesome end was not of her own doing, rather that of an inexperienced headsman. He hacked at her head, neck, and shoulders until eventually she was dead, having delivered, having had to deliver 11 blows until he actually cut her head off. Wow. Yeah, sharpen that stone. Mm. Or maybe not drink a fuck ton the night before. Hey, don't judge. Are you executing people the next day? You never know. Wow. You Yikes. don't know my wow. life. Joseph the Giggling Demon. Look out. Okay. Um, anyway, so the <laughs> ghostly screams of Margaret Pole are frequently heard at the side of the scaffold, and some visitors have even claimed to witness a reenactment of the bloody event. That's understandable. That's totally understandable, right? Like, oof. yeah. So we're going to move on to Lady Jane Grey. Now, Lady Jane Grey fared better, but not by much. So Lady Jane Grey, her trouble started in 1553, after King Edward VI died following a prolonged illness. 
Now, Edward VI was Henry VIII's only living male heir. Oh, okay. Yes. So he, he got that one. He got that one, and Look it at was... Him now. Yes, by Jane Seymour. Not the actress, who actually derived her name from this woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fun fact, yes. Jane Seymour was Henry VIII's third wife. After. The one he left Anne Boleyn for. Oh, my God. And Jane Seymour actually did give Henry VIII a living male heir. However, Jane Seymour died, I believe, within 10 days of the child's birth. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So um, she was actually never uh, coronated as queen. <clears throat> she, she died before she was able to be coronated. Um, but their child, Edward VI, did um, become king after Henry VIII died. And I believe the child was between the ages of 9 to 12 years old when Henry VIII died and he became king of England. Wow. One of, again, I am, for whatever reason, supremely fascinated with Henry VIII. I know all about all six of his marriages. I know all about all of it. And I find the most amusing parts are that his only living child with his very first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and if you remember, he was married to for over 20 years, <laughs> was Mary. However, once he married Anne Boleyn, he didn't recognize Mary as one of his legitimate children because he didn't feel like his marriage to Catherine of Aragon was legitimate. Mm. And mm. so then he had a daughter with Anne Boleyn. And that daughter's name was Elizabeth. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with who she grew up to become. She grew up to become Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, oh. that's okay. Yes. So here we are with the tie back in the modern times. Exactly. Very nicely done. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so by the time Henry VIII died, he had two daughters that were born to actual coronated queens, Mary and Elizabeth. But he didn't recognize them as legitimate children until later on in his life. However, the rule at the time was that only a male heir could ascend to the throne if there were living siblings that were female. So by the time Henry VIII died, he had one male heir, regardless of his two daughters, who were both born to queens, and Edward uh, VI became king at a young age. Now, he actually died following a long illness, and I believe he only reigned for about three or four years. Because Yes, you have a question. Yes. <laughs> about what year was this? Uh, 1553. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Um, so, Edward VI... Henry VIII's only male heir only reigned for a handful of years and he died after a prolonged illness. Oh. However, he loved his father and he wanted to follow, follow his father's rule to the letter of the law. And Henry VIII did not want Mary or Elizabeth to become queens because he was fucking hella bitter about God, their mothers. So much bullshit. I, <laughs> let me tell you, the Tudors... That was an era, and Henry VIII kind of made it, woo, yeah, a lot. king. So, rather than allow the throne to pass to either of Edward's sisters, either he named his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, as his successor in his will when he died. His cousin. His cousin. Oh, for fuck's sake. So, 
Jane Grey, her supporters insisted that the crown belonged to her. After all, Edward named Jane as his successor, and unlike Mary or Edward's other sister, Elizabeth, Jane was actually untainted by claims of illegitimacy. Ah. Aha. So Jane, she was 16, just if just so that we are clear on how oh old this poor God. kid was. She reluctantly accepted the crown on July 10th of 1553. However, support for Mary, again, his oldest daughter with his first queen, support for her grew, and Lady Jane Grey was only queen for nine days. Lady Jane Grey, though, I, that's... I've heard that name Mm -hmm. many, many times throughout history. Yes. So she was only queen for nine days. Nine days. And um, then she was dethroned. So on February 12th, 1554, Jane lost her head at Tower Green. Why? Because Mary wanted her dead. Well, bitch didn't want the crown. All you had to do was ask. She'd be like, no, I don't want this shit. Mm-mm. No, that's not how it's done. That wasn't how it was done. Uh, I don't want the crown. Yeah. Too bad you have a fucking crown. Oh, fuck That's not this. how it was done in the 1500s. So, legend has it that, I'm sorry, Archie, right, your right is here. <laughs> Chewy, your right is here. Chewy, your right is here. Chewy, your Uber is here. Um, anyway, so legend has it that her ghost remains at the Tower of London. So, again, like I said, Lady Jane was only about 16 years old at the time of her execution. New, excuse me, numerous male members of her family were also beheaded at the tower, including her husband. Chewie, you need to get your ride. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the interns are, are up in arms. Um, anyway, including Lady Jane Grey's husband was also executed at the Tower of London. Oh, God. His name was Guilford Dudley, and after his ex- execution, his remains were carted past the room where she was held. So she witnessed and knew the fate that she was about to meet. Um, at the scaffold, she was blinded and had trouble locating the chopping block, asking, what shall I do? Where is it? Um, now, at the Beauchamp Tower, her husband, Guilford Dudley's ghost, is said to sit weeping into the night. And people claim that he is responsible for the word Jane that was etched into the walls and is still visible today, which I don't think we saw when we were there. But we're gonna have to make a mental note to check it out. We must for sure. As for Jane, she has been spotted since 1957, a lonely figure walking amongst the battlements. Wow. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Yeah. That was kind of shitty. That was kind of shitty. That was incredibly shitty. Yeah. Also, fun fact. Uh, you guys have heard about the legend of Bloody Mary? Chant in the mirror three times, yada yada. Right. Mom, have you heard about the legend no. of Bloody Mary? You no. haven't? You're very fortunate. I don't want to hear about them. Okay, I'm not going to tell you about the legend, but Henry VIII's oldest daughter, Mary, after she had Jane Grey's head lopped off, she did become queen. And she was known as Bloody Mary. She's the original Bloody Mary because she was a diehard, devout Catholic, as was her mother, Catherine of Aragon. Now, uh, Henry VIII separated from the Catholic Church, formed the Protestant Church of England. She hated Protestants. Chewbacca. Chewy. Chewy. That is... Sweetheart. (laughs) Angel baby. Please... Stop Shut barking. Up. 
<laughs> Mary became known as Bloody Mary because she was known for rounding up Protestants and burning them at the stake. So she is known as Bloody Mary. That yeah, was what her name is. Qualified. <sighs> yeah. Good times. Good times had by literally a few. Literally <laughs> nobody. Literally no one. Um, the next ghost is Lady Arabella Stewart. And when Lady Arabella Stewart, now she was the second cousin of Queen Elizabeth I. She secretly married William Seymour, the nephew of Lady Jane Grey. Um, and when she did this, she made King James I exceptionally angry. He perceived this as a threat to his rule, and he put both Lady Arabella and William Seymour in the tower. Now, the two attempted to escape, but Lady Arabella's ship was intercepted, and she was returned to the tower. Her husband, Seymour, for his part, was able to escape, and he escaped to Flanders. He would actually never see his wife again. Uh, Desperate, she refused to eat, and she died in the tower in 1615. Now, like Queen Anne Boleyn, Lady Arabella is said to haunt the Queen's house. The governor of the tower, who lived in those rooms from recently, guys, from this guy lived there from 1994 to 2006. Oh. He reported a disturbing event in which his wife was pushed so violently by some unseen force that it propelled her out of the room and into the hallway. And this was in 1996? He, well, this... The governor of the tower lived there from 94 to 2006. He doesn't say when the incident occurred. Uh Um, But his wife was shoved so violently that it propelled her out of the room and into the hallway. Um, Others have reported sightings of Lady Arabella Stewart um, and her heartbroken ghost on the grounds of the tower weeping. Now, let's go to one area that I don't think either one of you expect to be haunted by, but the menagerie. No. Yes. Oh, really? Oh, God. Not the polar bear or the elephant. King John established a menagerie, like you mentioned, of animals at the tower. I have pictures of that. Okay, that is literally what we're going to title this episode. My mom has pictures of that. Yes. She has said that like 9,000 times. Oh, my God. Anyway. Right. It's bananas. (laughs) How many pictures of that should my mom have? (laughs) I want 2,000 pictures of that. <laughs> That's a lie, Mom. We don't have two thousand pictures of London. We have like three thousand, six thousand <laughs> pictures of London. Anyway, King John established a menagerie of animals at the tower that were used in fights for spectators' amusement. No, yes, oh, God which I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention in your history I portion. Didn't, I didn't find that. Yeah. Oh. So this awful practice was actually incredibly popular with the people. Fucking terrible people. Yeah. And over the years... <laughs> bastard. Yeah. It, and over the years, it transitioned into a kind of zoo where visitors could see strange beasts from all over the world, including a pale bear or a polar bear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have pictures of that. <laughs> she was there. She was there. I was there. The like, time traveler's mother. Oh, my God. <laughs> Doctor Who's mom was there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, anyway, the Duke of Wellington eventually moved the animals to the London Zoo in 1832. Oh, good. However, Archie goes on. I know. Archie goes on such emotional rollercoaster. She's just like, oh, yay. Oh, 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 no. no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some believe that the troubled spirits of beasts from years past still haunt the tower. 
Visitors have reported the cries of animals, including lions and monkeys, and one guard at the tower claimed a spectral bear charged at him, only to disappear as soon as he stabbed at the creature with his bayonet. Some have also described the phantom shapes of horses, which gallop along the cobbles at night, their eyes a terrifying blazing red. Oh, of course. Which is the first time I have ever heard of animals, animal ghosts. Yeah, yeah, I will have to agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And then the another one of my last specific hauntings is the white woman. Now, often visitors often glimpse a figure in white in the corner of their eyes. Then quite suddenly they smell the terrible pungent smell of an old overpowering perfume. Yeah. Yeah. Chewy. Chewy says, I smell it. I smell it. My God, is she here? She's here now. Dear God. Okay, stop. You need to chill. I know, I know. You're you're the neighborhood watch. Neighborhood but... watch commander, and you do an excellent job. But Chewy. seriously, shut it. Chewy, come here. <laughs> All right, we're good. No, that's just going to make him crazier. Now, some other visitors then describe the feeling of the world closing in around them, and chills run from their neck down to their spine, which is, that's just god-awful idea. Creepy. Yeah. In recent years, tourists to the tower have even reported the sensation that someone is tapping them on the shoulder, and when they turn around, no one is there or anywhere near them. Now, this white woman is said to have stood once at a window waving to little children at the building on the opposite side. Other phenomena. Here is some of the other stuff that you can, that people have and that you might experience at the Tower of London. Edmund Lenthal Swift was the keeper of the crown jewels between 1814 and 1852. He lived inside the Tower of London with his family. And like I mentioned before, the yeoman warders do live on site at the Tower of London. Also yeah. known as the beef eaters. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Um, now, he recorded a truly spooky experience. In his own words, it happened on a Saturday night in, Octo- in October at about the witching hour. Party time. Mm. Getting down with the beef eaters. Chewy, please be quiet. <laughs> Our security intern is very interested is in what very, is happening. Yeah, there's a lot of ruckus going on outside. Anyway, this particular... Yeoman Warder was in the Jewel House, which is now the Martin Tower, which is also the Martin Tower known as the, quote, doleful prison of Anne Boleyn. Now, the windows were closed, the curtains were pulled over, and the room was lighted by a couple of candles. His family were seated within. Suddenly, something very odd happened. Let's hear it, shall we? Sure. My wife looked up and exclaimed, good God, what is that? I looked up and saw a cylindrical figure like a glass tube, seemingly about the thickness of my arm. It was hovering between the ceiling and the table. Its contents appeared to be a dense fluid, white and pale azure, like the gathering of a summer cloud, and incessantly rolling and mingling within the cylinder. Archie is doing some sort of fucking interpretive dance shit as I describe this. Well, we switched over to Zinfandel. What do you expect? I can't even look at it while I say this. Anyway, he goes on to say this lasted about two minutes. Then it began to slowly move before my sister-in-law. Then, following the oblong shape of the table before my son and myself, passing behind my wife, it paused for a moment behind my wife's right shoulder. 
Instantly, she crouched down, and with both hands covering her shoulders, she shrieked out, Oh, Christ, it has seized me! I hate when that happens. Even now, while writing, I feel the fresh horror of that moment. So that is what I have on some of the most prolific and common hauntings of the Tower of London. As Archie mentioned, wow. it has a very long, long history. So so much history. So much history. I mean, you talked more about history than hauntings. Well, yeah, and I, mean, I thought I went in. Almost yeah. a thousand years. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, in fact, another fun fact that that most Americans don't know is that Elizabeth I was also a prisoner of the Tower of London, having been sent there by her half-sister, Mary, Queen Mary. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mary felt that there was a, um, a growing support of uh, Protestants in support of Elizabeth to be queen instead of her. So oh she sent God. her there on oh. the grounds of treason. This religious bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean, religion has been the source of a lot of strife and, and wars and trouble. Yeah, um, even today. Even today. What I find, like I said earlier, what I find most amusing is that Elizabeth I, uh, everybody's heard about the Elizabethan era. It's the era of William Shakespeare. It is known as the Golden Age of Britain. And she was one of the most prolific and powerful and um, amazing monarchs in British history. And transformative. And transformative, exactly. And um, she was dis completely disregarded by Henry VIII because she was his daughter with Anne Boleyn. Oh, my God. Yeah, the mother that he had beheaded because she didn't give him a son. Wow. Yeah, so I think that that is sort of um, poignant and apropos uh, I, uh, Queen Elizabeth I is um, one of my favorite monarchs. I think she has done a tremendous amount for the way that Britain is today. Um, we will talk a little bit more in the next episode about another one of Britain's most amazing monarchs in Victoria. She's oh. going to be mentioned a little bit in the next episode. But yeah, so my mom and I and Koi, we went to London in 2016. We had an amazing time. We actually did get to see Queen Elizabeth II and her husband, along with uh, uh, William and Kate and, and Harry. Was it Harry? And the three yes. of them. Yeah. Yes. Megan wasn't on the scene quite yet. Um, but we did get to see the royal family. Uh, we definitely recommend going to the Tower of London. Uh, plan to spend a lot of time there when you go because it's just, it's huge. Yeah, and yeah, we were there for what? In so much. Exactly. We were there for what? Three, four hours yeah. and we still didn't get to see everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, but it, it's absolutely amazing. And, and like I said earlier, and, and as you and I were talking about earlier, mom, when you're in there, you don't actually feel like you are in the center of this big, huge metropolis city with skyscrapers all around you. You just really feel like you're transported back in time. Um, That's it is, amazing. It is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty cool. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Um, it is a World Heritage Site, and it is run by Historic Royal Palaces, which is an organization that runs a lot of, um, I think it, it, it does Kensington Palace, Hampton Court Palace, the Tower of London, 
um, they all run all of those those palaces that are you know um, currently are and were working um, palaces for the monarchy. So much history in one big city. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, yeah, there really is. It is, and it, it's it's um, it's it's phenomenal and amazing. In fact, do you remember, Mom? So we took the tube to the the. Um, Tower of London, when you get off, you get off at the Tower Hill Station. And when you come up out of the underground, there is this old wall. And it's very obviously an ancient wall. And it looks sort of out of place. Do like you remember the, this? The Roman wall? Yes. And as you, it's, you pass it oh, as you... Yeah. yeah. As you walk toward the Tower of London. And it's this old crumbling wall. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this wall? This this wall is literally just outside the tube station. It's not really close to the Tower of London, but it's close enough that you know, you know, there's maybe associated, yeah, right. But we walked past it, and I'm like, that is literally one of those Sesame Street, one of these things doesn't belong kind of situations. It is a portion of an original Roman wall. Oh well, Roman Roman history goes back so far in time and the romans mm-hmm. they expanded so far their territory was so great that it did encompass england oh, and the oh for sure yeah i mean there's hadrian's yeah. wall oh yeah there's everything in fact oh god you know what you know i need to stop talking because we could go on for freaking this podcast episode could go on for hours but recently and i mean within the last five ten years they have found um, evidence underneath one, of, I think it was one of their museums, maybe the British Museum. I can't remember. Um, but they have found evidence of um, Roman gladiator pits under one of the, I mean. Wow. I remember hearing about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, the British Museum, uh, we didn't get to go there either. Like, and we were there for. We need, we seriously need to go back. We were there for eight days. Yeah. Right. I think we were there for eight days and nine nights or something. We didn't get to see anything, any, we didn't get to see everything we wanted to see. Like we didn't do, you know, the whole touristy Abbey Road. We didn't get to go to the British Museum. And there are a lot of museums and and attractions that are free that we didn't get to do. Um, I'm very fortunate that we did get to do the Tower of London. It is one of the oldest sites in London in the world. Uh, That's again, it, amazing. Yeah, it's a World yeah. Heritage Site. And uh, it if, if you guys have the opportunity to go to London, definitely carve out a whole day, honestly, to go to the Tower yeah. of London. So, yeah, that that is what I have. Because there's um, a lot there to see. There's a lot there to see. There's a lot of history. And so there's a lot of ghosts. I, You know what? I didn't see a ghost in this last time that I went, but maybe I'll see one in my next trip. Uh, yeah, so okay. if there was some specific details of the history that I got wrong or that Archie got wrong, please, please, please email us and let us know because we don't, you know, we, we, definitely, re- we rely on the internet. We rely on the internet and, um, yeah, which is to some degree. Yeah, to some degree. Um, but anyway, that is our episode on the Tower of London um Archie, do we have any announcements for the the listeners? I do not. No, I don't have any either. 
Um, Mom, I definitely want to thank you for being our special live studio audience. I know thank that you, were you excited. so very much. Yes. I know that you were excited to do this with us. Because... It's been fun. Good. It's been fun. Good. I'm glad. Is there anything that you want to say to the listeners of History of a Haunting? I have pictures of that. <laughs> I do. I probably do. Great. All right, everybody, we're going to show you my mom's pictures of that. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Mom. I do, certainly do appreciate um, you being a part of this episode. Oh, we had, my pleasure. We had a lot of fun. It took a lot longer than we all expected. <laughs> but that's generally how it goes when the three of us yeah, get yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, Archie, do you want to toss it over to our sponsor? Well, I sure would. And I happen to be cuddling one of the recipients of that. <laughs> Love Heals Dog Rescue. Thank you so much, guys. We will see you next week. Have a wonderful day. Love Heals Dog Rescue is a nonprofit organization that believes every dog in need deserves a second chance at a new life. Love Heals wants to partner with the community to help as many dogs as possible find loving homes while also helping dogs in need in the area, such as providing a last litter program where the mother dog is fixed and returned or adopted and all of the puppies are fixed, examined by a vet, microchipped and adopted out to help with the overpopulation of dogs in the area. Love Heals Dog Rescue cannot continue to help the community without a dedicated foster network. Please consider becoming a foster and visit lovehealsdogrescue.org. Or find them on Facebook by searching Love Heals Dog Rescue. Help, help us, us be, be a part, part of, of the, the solution. solution.